This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey there, listeners, future callers, and cooking enthusiasts. Welcome to Dinner SOS, the show where we help you save dinner or whatever you're cooking. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious. This week's caller, Michelle, is after something of a culinary white whale, perfectly executed French cuisine at home in America. And look, she's not the first person to fixate on France. I mean, Julia Child brought French cuisine to the home cook over 60 years ago. But for Michelle, it's personal. So all my life, I've been a bit of a Francophile. I love everything about France, the movies, the language, the people, and in particular, of course, the food. Uh, Coincidentally, or well, maybe not so coincidentally, I ended up marrying a Frenchman. Ah. Michelle and her husband visit his family in France all the time. So she's tasted the cuisine direct from the source. And to make it even more intimidating, her husband's dad is an incredible cook. So we're very spoiled. He makes the most amazing things. He makes beef bourguignon, he makes ratatouille, he makes lamb shoulder with tagine, Mm. poulet farci, which is like a stuffed chicken, fish soup. I mean, you name it. But my problem, Chris, is that when I try to recreate these dishes at home back in the U.S., they don't taste the same ever at all. I have mastered or I have done well with other cuisines, but the French one keeps eluding me. His dad has taught me the recipes. We cook together when we're in France. I've even used French recipes from this website called Marmiton, which everyone in France uses. And it's just not the same. You know, it lacks flavor. It turns out flat. You know, my beef bourguignon was too watery or according to my husband, it lacked complexity (laughs) in the sauce. He has very high standards. Now, where is your husband's family from in France? They're from the south of France, from a city called Avignon. Oh. And the food is so delicious. I mean, the the thing there, and I don't know if maybe my problem is, is... focus on that, but the ingredients are just so good. The vegetables, you don't have to do anything to it. It's already, I mean, you have to do very little to them. They already taste amazing. So the quality of the ingredients there is just great, especially in the south of France. So I'm curious. So the goal here is to cook for your husband and to be able to execute a meal centered on French cuisine, which is as good as what you can normally enjoy in France. Do I have that right? Well, it would be for both of us, something that would please both for of us. For the two of you, but not. <laughs> yes. But point being, not for his father. Like, you're not looking oh, to no. go to France oh. and knock his French socks oh, off. Oh, my goodness. It, that would be next level. But I think it would be very hard to impress him, though. Impressing my husband is already hard. <laughs> okay, here's the part where I get myself into trouble, okay? <laughs> so I feel like French people in general have Mm -hmm. an innate sense of what is correct and what is not correct, Mm -hmm. particularly as it pertains to their cuisine, language, and culture. That's, you know, both a controversial and probably not controversial statement because it's just objectively true. It's true. 
right? So I feel like there's not a lot of room for riffing in French cuisine. And when you say like you're looking to make beurre bourguignon, and this is a little bit for the audience, implicit in that statement is you're not looking to shake things up necessarily to put your stamp on it. You are just looking to recreate an OG version of beurre bourguignon. I would love that. I feel like I have to master the basics or the classics before I can innovate on top. Or at least that's always been my my understanding. But I would love to. Yes, I would love to make an OG bourguignon that's going to have all this depth to it and with the right consistency. That would be a dream. Now, when you've attempted these archetypal French dishes, Mm -hmm. what recipes are you using? Like you, you mentioned marmiton. And is that the primary source or have you gone to other sources in America? I have. Well, a lot of them are recipes that I've learned from his dad, recipes that we've made together Okay. that I take notes as as he's cooking. He teaches me. But the thing is that he changes the recipes every time. He's very experienced. Every time he might make a twist here, he might taste that something's off, so he might adjust. And I'm not as advanced, so I'm going based on step by step. But he's my source. Okay. And there's a bit of a plot twist as well. Oh, gosh. complication. Okay. All right. Okay. (laughs) Hit me. Oh, my goodness. Which is that my husband has an intolerance to alliums. So that's the basis of a lot of the French cuisine. And I can't use garlic. That's an absolute no-no. That'll trigger a three-day migraine. A Southern Frenchman who can't eat garlic. Yes, it's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) It is indeed very complicated. Okay, so great. Um, Wow. I mean, it's good you sort of told me that when you told me that because I got all kinds of fired up. And now that's Mm -hmm. to sort of knock me down a couple pegs. But that's fine. We're going to figure it out. So when his father cooks for the two of you, he is incorporating these dietary restrictions in his food as well. Yes, because the mom also has the intolerance. Uh-huh. I guess it's hereditary. So he, he has found ways to to create flavor without it. But yeah. I, I have not mastered <laughs> those techniques just yet. Wow. Okay. No, this is so interesting. Listen, I think part of it comes down to ingredients, as you said. I mm-hmm. think part of it as well is, you know, as you indicated, your father-in-law is a very adept cook who's making adjustments and modifications on the fly to mm-hmm. arrive at a specific goal, right, in terms of what he is looking for in any given dish. And, you know, that ability to improvise and to be like a creative problem solver, depending on like the specifics of the ingredients you have on hand, whatever's happening like IRL with your cooking process. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what comes, you know, with experience in cooking. I really love the specifics of this goal. (laughs) Like this is such an interesting challenge to me. And and honestly, (laughs) this is food that, that I grew up with too, because I do think there's a certain way in which, you know, French cuisine, America has like had this longstanding kind of love affair with, or at least it's otherwise stated, it's been this undercurrent within American Mm -hmm. cuisine. You know, French foundational cooking techniques still underpin a lot of the foods that we're eating today, even across like non-European cuisines as well. So it's out there in terms Mm -hmm. of like a codified language around recipes and and technique. So honestly, (laughs) like this is a cuisine born of repetition and Mm -hmm. playing by the rules, right? It's like adjusting the ingredients and the techniques to suit the outcome. So yeah, I mean, let's just figure out how we can make you a little bit more of like an intuitive, responsive cook who can be resilient in the face of differences, (laughs) you know, across (laughs) recipes, ingredients, context, etc. 
I love that. In order to help Michelle achieve l'excellence without the flavor boost of onions or garlic, I knew I needed to tap a chef who has deep knowledge of French cooking and also experienced cooking professionally in America. Basically, I needed someone with firsthand experience translating French cuisine for an American audience. After the break, chef Tanya Holland joins me to help Michelle solve this culinary dilemma. Here at Dinner SOS, we love tackling your kitchen issues. But what if I told you there's a way to rescue dinner before it turns into an emergency? With expert insights from the test kitchen, cooking and entertaining tips, and a treasury of over 50,000 recipes, Bon Appetit and Epicurious are your lifelines to rescue any meal. And right now, our listeners can get 20% off an annual digital subscription including access to the user-friendly Epicurious app. Just use code SOS20 at bonappetit.com. That's SOS20 for a 20% discount on an annual digital subscription to Bon Appetit and Epicurious. Happy cooking. And don't worry, I'll still be here if your dinner plan self-destructs. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, Michelle. Welcome back. Hi, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be back. Oh, it's great to have you. And we are joined here by Chef Tanya Holland. Tanya, do you want to introduce yourself? Give a little bit of your background. Yeah. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Hi, good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Well, I'm actually going into my 40th year of working in the hospitality industry. I started waiting tables in college where I was studying French. I studied French in high school, but I became a Francophile immediately because my (laughs) birthday is Bastille Day. (laughs) It was meant to be. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And after college, I worked in New York in restaurants for a while and then went to cooking school in France, in Burgundy. Mm. So when Chris asked me if I could help you out here, I thought, well, why not? I'd love to. I'm kind of getting back to my French roots after cooking my own restaurant featured Southern and soul food, which is my heritage. But Mm. I'm adept in all kinds of cuisines and formerly trained in France. So I, you know, I've definitely am not French and don't consider myself a French chef, but use the techniques and a lot of the recipes and dishes and do a lot of improv with them. So I thought, you know, maybe I could help you. Yes, absolutely. Very nice to meet you. You too. Michelle, that was important to me. Your issue, right? Like looking for a way to kind of break into classic French cuisine, but with this sort of added nuance that no alliums 
are allowed. You're going to need to be in a little bit more of like an improvisational mindset. You need to be in a situation where you can make some smart substitutions so that you don't end up with like a, a flavor deficit as a result. And so I'm just thrilled that Tanya, you know, is is working with us on this. And I'm just excited to be able to continue the conversation now that we're all together. Wonderful. Sounds like I'm in great hands. So have you had any breakthroughs since we spoke? Like, has anything kind of changed in terms of, you know, your attempts to recreate classic French dishes for your husband? Well, not that much has changed, but I I just came back from spending an entire month in France with my husband's family. So we've attempted some dishes with his dad and with his sister. And uh, I have attempted a couple of them coming back uh, this week. Um, Very simple recipes, a very foolproof and they turned out okay. I think that with the bit more complex attempts, that's where it gets a little bit more challenging. But a zucchini soup with three ingredients, I think that's pretty easy to keep. So, so far, so good. But uh, of course, I want the more challenging projects as well. I'm much of a control freak and I, I, I like to have as much control as possible in the kitchen. That's really hard <laughs> because every time you make a dish, the ingredients are different. And when you add the complexity of doing it in a different country where you might not find the same ingredients as when you were originally taught, as it's in, in my case with France and, and the U.S., I think that having those improv skills will be critical. And I understand your husband's from outside of Avignon, the uh, south of France. Correct. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's my favorite area. I love it. I love everything about it. Well, I think you have so much to work with. I mean, there's a lot of ingredients that add that depth of flavor that by not having the alliums, you can add anchovies. If he eats anchovies, Mm, um, there's so much. What are some of the dishes that you've tried that have failed that you want to go back to or their, you know, favorites that he has that you're like, I really have to make a go for that one. <laughs> I would say the beef bourguignon is one that I have tried a few times. A uh, very similar dish, Copovana. It was That was the first one I attempted. It was a disaster. It was so greasy and, and again, flat. It just missed like that complexity that I know his, his dad is able to make. Lamb shoulder, I've attempted as well. Same problem. Oh, wow. Well, you definitely picked these three <laughs> yeah, yeah, classics <laughs> recipes <laughs> <Right>. that... <laughs> A lot of layers of flavor and techniques mm. and braising, but I don't think they're insurmountable. I actually have a recipe that I was telling Chris, I'm doing some writing for Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant Newsletter, and Kermit Lynch is one of the premier importers of fine French wines, a lot from the south of France. And it's a chicken fricassee made with red mm. wine, and it's a little bit more user-friendly. It's sort of like a... A quick coco vin. Uh-huh. So you can use whatever chicken pieces you want and braise it with the red wine. I'll send that to you because oh, yeah, I think that. it's really easy. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds great. And we love chicken fricassee. So yes. that would be really exciting to master that recipe. Yeah. I'm certain that you can. Well, Tanya, you know, I was really struck when I was kind of, you know, reaching out to you to say, hey, you interested in working on this episode with us. You had mentioned Richard Olney's book, Lulu's Provencal Table, kind of turned mm-hmm. me on to that. And I looked through the book, and one thing I was really struck by was despite the fact that 
French cuisine, we were kind of talking about like how it, it presents as this like really monolithic, very rigid, codified, you know, sort of style of cooking. And yet I think mm-hmm. as it exists in home kitchens for home cooks, there is so much variation, right? There is so much improvisation behind it. And that was part of the spirit of Olney's book, right? Just that you have this woman who's in this incredible milieu where you've got wine, you've got all these incredible ingredients, and she's literally cooking over a wood-fired stove. And I'm not talking about like a hundred years ago. Like this was not that long ago. But like, you know, Michelle, you mentioned just even, you know, just a moment ago how you want to control things, right? Like you have such a, a clear destination in mind for the outcome you're going for. But I think actually French cuisine requires a little bit more adaptation and a little bit Mm -hmm. more interpretation than might initially meet the eye. And one thing that I'm always doing when I have to cook like a classic dish, doesn't matter if it's French or not, anything, I look at multiple recipes for that thing. Yes, absolutely. You know, and obviously like Tanya's recipe is of course going to be perfect right out of the gate. And this is a total exception to this rule, right? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's like it really behooves all of us. Like if you're doing Coco Vam, look at four recipes, at least three, and start to triangulate. Oh, how interesting. Like, this recipe uses four cups of wine and you reduce it by, quote, five minutes. But this one is calling out, oh, you were reducing it by half. Oh, this one, Mm -hmm. you know, the chicken is marinated in wine and these aromatics. You start to look at these nuances Mm -hmm. and suddenly this Mm -hmm. purported classic dish is not the same thing in different people's hands, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the key, Chris. Yes. And I tell people that when I'm teaching cooking classes, like, or when, say I'm doing an event and I send my recipe to the culinary team to execute, I don't, like, I'm not going to get upset if it doesn't taste exactly because different hands are going to make it different and make it taste differently, make it look differently. And you can always learn more about the recipe by, you know, changing one ingredient, one little step and figure out what works for you. Mm. The recipe is forgiving. So be forgiving of your self, you know, (laughs) it's like, that's the hardest part. (laughs) Yes, it's not going to be perfect. And you know, your husband should understand that. I mean, that's what we talk about terroir, because it's not going to be the same in America as it is in France. And that's why we go back to France. And it's like, Oh, my God, this is so good. But you know, one of the reasons why I love the Lulu cookbook also when I started is that I felt like there was no exotic, unreachable ingredients, you know, that I couldn't get, you know, it was like a lot of herbs, especially, again, with the aliens, you got to kick up the flavor with fresh herbs, with other ingredients that have a lot of umami, like mushrooms and anchovies Mm -hmm. and things like that to really get that depth of flavor. But I think, you know, maybe trying some simpler recipes to start, like even a salad niçoise or pisaladier is hard because of the, the onions, but you could make your own, you know, with mushrooms and anchovies or something like that. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I don't have to go with something over, super complex. I, I just want it to be really delicious. And uh, this, this sounds like it's in that direction. That's so funny. I mean, my approach was going to be like, listen, go big or go home. Like if, if you want, <laughs> if you want both both Bourguignon, you better make beurre bourguignon. But I think that can, again, that can mean a lot of different things. Like, so like one recipe that like, by all means, try that chicken fricassee because I'm sure, you know, it'll be awesome. Get some perspective, you know, by like looking at other recipes. The the beurre bourguignon recipe that I was going to call out, the interesting thing here was, and I had forgotten this. So I'm looking at 
this stew called beef and bacon stew. Mm -hmm. This is by Molly Boz from a little while ago. And she actually puts miso in it. And oh, and and I was kind of like the new secret ingredient, by the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> it's and it's stealthy. It's like, it, it, does this make a beef bourguignon that tastes like appreciably Japanese? No, not even no. a little bit. But if you're looking to make up for the depth of flavor that you're not quite able to capture when you take out the alliums, to Tanya's point, like mushrooms, such a great source Mm -hmm. of that like kind of earthiness and that depth. I think like the miso is super smart in this. And, you know, I think Molly was like a little bit ahead of her time just in terms of just plugging it directly into an otherwise straight ahead interpretation of Bourguignon. I think, mm. you know, where it starts to become a little bit more overt is if you use something like soy sauce, right? Like that leaves more yeah. of a mark flavor-wise. But another thing to consider with taking onion out when, especially a recipe like a, a coco van or um, boeuf bourguignon that normally would have lots of onions in them, those are mm-hmm. going to give you a lot of sweetness. And sometimes you might need to make up for some of that difference with Either other sweeter veg, like kind of max out on carrots, you know, and other things that have some sweetness in them, or just throw a couple teaspoons of sugar in there. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, Tanya, I mean, let me know if you think I'm like off base here, but I think like you're you're putting so much acidity and you're putting so much tannin into some of these classic wine-based dishes. Yeah. Like a little bit of sugar isn't going to hurt. Yeah. I think the carrot idea is nice because it has a natural sweetness. Then it's also going to give some body to the sauce, Mm -hmm. which the onions would like as they kind of melt in the sauce and they make it thicker. But yeah, I mean, I'm partial to a little brown sugar. Brown sugar, (laughs) yeah. And I think that's where, okay, well now, you know, sure, brown sugar, soy sauce, mirin, there's like a whole host of ingredients that you could kind of apply to the chicken or the beef to like really you the the flavor in another direction. We had a dish from Soe Kim of the Good Fork and Insa in Brooklyn from a while mm-hmm. ago. And she was like, she interpreted kalbi jjim, which is like this very celebratory Korean dish of braised short rib, as this mashup between French cuisine and Korean. So she sort of split the difference, right? There's a lot of soy, but there's red wine. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a little bit of like gochugaru, like mild chili flake. She really kind of like fused these two things together, but in a really meaningful way, not as like in a, you know, fusion for its own sake kind of way. But like these flavors really do go together. But at a certain point, yeah, you're you're going to taste that there's something different going on. And, and whether, you know, your husband wants that or not, or whether you want that is up for discussion. No, absolutely. I'm very open to it. I'm open to secret ingredients that are <laughs> to accomplish really delicious results. All these tricks are really, really helpful. I think Chris's advice of looking at multiple recipes is the best. I mean, whenever I'm thinking of a dish that I've never made before, I do that as well. And then you have some favorite authors. Another, like I learned from Lavarenne Pratique because I went to Lavarenne cooking school. And that, if you can still find a copy of that, that is Mm. such a great intro to classic French techniques and classic French dishes and really breaks it down for the novice cook because, you know, it's for a cooking school. And I'll see if you can't find it. I can dig up my book and my recipe and send it your way. Great, great. I'll, I'll I'll take a look. Yeah, that sounds like it's perfect for me. Mm-hmm. Tanya, do you feel like there are, like broadly speaking, fundamental differences between ingredients you might find in France versus 
in the U.S.? Well, I think we have many more options, but I think here, you know, the average person is exposed to more cuisines of from around the world because we are a bigger country with a lot more immigrant groups that have established themselves and culinary enclaves. So Michelle shouldn't feel like she's at a fundamental disadvantage cooking in Miami. I don't think so. No. No, I think it's, I think it's just going to be, you know, your, ex, your experience and your practice, you know, mm. of, of just like, Practicing cooking the dishes, reading more recipes, going out to restaurants maybe that do French food well, and taking notes. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I always, when I was learning to cook, I learned just as much from being a diner because once you know certain dishes and ingredients, techniques, and you can go and you can dissect a dish or you can say like, oh, I think they did this differently. Or even be as bold as to ask the chef. You know, they love <laughs> love talking about what they do, what they it's created. True. Yeah. It's true. They're very proud. proud yeah. Of take, their work. It, take advantage, you know. Mm, that's great. It's really true. Like when you're the one cooking at home, working through a problem, like you are your own worst enemy. Like yes. to be clear, you know what mm. I mean? Like your insistence to follow a recipe, even if it doesn't, you know, quite conform to your kind of like better culinary judgment. I mean, it's like we are our own worst enemy when it comes to like truly pushing the envelope in terms of the influences we're taking in, how mm-hmm. we're able to like actually act on them when we go home to cook, you know, in our own kitchens, right? Whereas you go into a restaurant, like you are tasting that chef's food. Like they mm-hmm. are creating an experience for you and your ability, just as Tanya saying, to take in that information, to develop that taste memory, like, oh, wow, this is what the consistency of this sauce can be. Mm-hmm. And if mine isn't there, how do I get it there? Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's so easy to cook something at home, you know, from a recipe and be like, well, that wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. But it's like maybe all you needed was like a squeeze of lemon and a pinch of salt. You know, right. <laughs> it's like the, sometimes the interventions required are so minimal to, to yeah. level yourself up. Yeah. And, and it's about you developing your repertoire of like Chris was saying, little building blocks of uh, quick fixes or flavor boosts. Yeah. It's like that arsenal of tools, like what's in your toolbox, you know, to kind of workshop a dish. I think that is really important. That's great. These are great tips. We're going to take another break. When we're back, we'll hear whether Michelle achieved the zenith she was after. Hi, friends. I'm Cameron Rogers, mental health advocate, mom of two, content creator, and host of Conversations with Cam. This podcast is dedicated to having honest conversations, prioritizing your well-being, and reminding you that no matter what you're feeling, you are not alone. We'll discuss mental health maintenance, the ups and downs of motherhood, the trials and tribulations of life, and have a lot of fun along the way. Whether you're knee-deep in diapers or just trying to keep your sanity intact, this podcast is for you. Expect laughs, maybe a few tears, and hopefully some breakthroughs along the way. Make sure to subscribe and tune in for new episodes of Conversations Conversations with Cam every Wednesday morning. All right, here we are. How is everybody doing? 
Great. Good to be here. Thanks. How have you been, Michelle? Wonderful. Wonderful. I had a great experience with the recipe and I'm so excited to talk about it. It really oh. made my weekend. Yay. Oh, yeah? Well, tell us about it. What what made the difference? Okay, okay. So I, pe- I picked the Bœuf Bourguignon. Okay. okay. Um, the chicken fricassee was very tempting and it it seemed very straightforward. But thinking about our conversation and, I, and how I could get more out of my comfort zone and improvise a bit using taste memory, I realized that I had only had chicken fricassee a couple of times in my life, whereas Bourguignon, I've had it many times. So I wanted to get out of my comfort zone and I wanted to to do a bit of improvisation as well to troubleshoot as needed. And I also had some unfinished business with this, with this dish because I've attempted yeah. it a few times in the past unsuccessfully. So this would be the ultimate challenge and, and triumph if it went well. Before we hear how Michelle's meal came out, I wanted to briefly walk through the recipe for beef and bacon stew that she used. First, you cut up and season the beef. Then you cut up your bacon and put it in a Dutch oven on the stovetop. Don't turn the heat on just yet. The next step is prep your veg. Red onions, carrots, and garlic. But in Michelle's case, here's where we might amp up the carrots for sweetness and add in some mushrooms or even open a tin of anchovies to build some additional umami. Cook the bacon and then remove the pieces of meat, leaving the rendered fat behind. Then cook the beef until browned and take your time to really develop the color. Remove the beef, then turn the heat down and start to layer in your vegetables. First onions, if you're using them, then carrots, possibly garlic, thyme, and our secret flavor boost, a couple of tablespoons of miso. Add in some flour and then most of a bottle of red wine and simmer until the alcohol cooks off. Add in some water, bring to a simmer, and then cover your Dutch oven and bake the whole thing for an hour and a half covered and another half hour to an hour uncovered. Finish with parsley, serve alongside some crusty bread, and enjoy your flavor-boosted beef and bacon stew. And how did it go? Oh my goodness. It, it, It came out perfect. Both my husband and I loved the dish. The sauce was rich and flavorful. It wasn't flat like the other times I made it. The meat, it was perfectly tender. I didn't even need a knife to cut it. And the veggies were perfectly cooked. Lots of umami there and everything was balanced and tasted just right. I I just couldn't believe it. I thought I would need to make maybe try it again. Usually when I try a new dish or a new recipe, I have to, you know, attempt it a few times before mm-hmm. I mastered it. But it was great from the get-go and it tasted just like the Bafurgi that we've had in France so many times. And this was no alliums, right? Well, I noticed that the recipe called for three large onions and I was worried about compromising it a lot by taking them out. So I did. I found a way around my husband's allium intolerance. And what I did is I found out that you can neutralize the enzyme of the allium that causes the intolerance by boiling the onion for about an hour or less. Tanya, have you ever heard of that? <laughs> I never, (laughs) never. And I didn't know what the cause of the allergy was, but that's really cool. Good to know. And I found this out because I I started doing research, as as you Mm. suggested, researching different recipes and techniques and trying to build my arsenal, my toolkit. Mm -hmm. So I came across that and and it totally worked. So I I boiled the onion. It was complete. It was obviously didn't have that sharp uh, flavor, but I was then able to just cook it as the recipe said until they were golden brown and turned out perfect. No bad reaction. When you look at the finished product, the finished dish, you, you really couldn't tell. 
that I had added that that step and I could still keep the sweetness. And I just felt that it was such an important ingredient in the dish that um, I'm glad that I was able to find a way around it. And my husband, I mean, we've been having it for the past three days because it was such <laughs> a big portion and no, no reactions, everything great. Wait, still no garlic. No, absolutely not. Garlic, I don't think there's a way I can neutralize that. There's no workaround. Haven't found the trick for that one yet. <laughs> but I'm just glad you figured out the onions because I think onions, you know, they also add more texture. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. The majority of the, as I was dissecting the dish afterwards, I was thinking, well, what would have happened if I did it without onions? And I feel like a big, as you said, a big part part of the dish and the texture of the dish comes from there. That's so great. Success. <laughs> that is so cool. I mean, because listen, I mean, Tanya, I don't know what it did for you, you know, hearing that there was like an allium situation. I mean, personally, you know, when I sometimes when I hear things like that, I'm like, oh, gosh. Yeah, I was very concerned. It's like a and table I- with three legs. <laughs> Legs. You're just like, oh, no, it's like it's really tricky one. Yeah. And I, I started looking through the Lulu's Provencal table mm. cookbook that I suggested. Yeah. And almost every recipe had onions or garlic or both. And I was like, mm. oh, I don't know. But now that you have this, you can go back and, you know, you can try ratatouille. Yes. I took a lot of your advice, Tanya. Last time we spoke, you mentioned that we could really amp up the flavor by adding mushrooms. And I definitely did that. I sauteed some creminis towards the end and they added some really nice Mommy, you also suggested to add uh, anchovies, so I added some of those oh, as wow. well. Oh, that's wonderful! Um, and I think all of that added some depth to the dish. It was really, it was rich. It was, it, it had this really balanced flavor. And I was very surprised by the miso, the secret ingredient that you referred to, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Just brought an extra layer of savoriness. It still tasted very much like the versions of the dish that I've had in France. So it was really a great secret ingredient. And I'm, it's one that I'm absolutely adding to my toolbox for cooking and for troubleshooting dishes or maybe even innovating in dishes in the future, which is something I had never even thought of doing in the past. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, it makes my heart sing to hear you say that because, (laughs) listen, it's not that we want to strip context from ingredients that have like really important positions and in, in specific cuisines. But I think it's okay to empower yourself to to use ingredients a little bit, you know, like let's just say like off-label usage to mix it up a little bit because, you know, ultimately it's about flavor and it's about achieving like a certain depth and concentration, right? Like Tanya mentioning anchovies, like, you know, hey, like next time you could put a teaspoon of fish sauce in there and and if, if, if you had run out of anchovies that day, and, and, and just mm. keep going, you know, similar effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just, it takes practice, right? And getting to know your palate, remember it's subjective and also just like to practice finding that balance of the saltiness that you want to achieve, the consistency that you want to achieve. But like Chris said, it's not like you're going to add a couple of tablespoons of soy sauce or tamari and all of a sudden feel like you're having stir-fried rice or something. You know, it's just like a another condiment to add to your repertoire. Amazing. Yeah, and I'm coming out of this experience a lot more confident with some great tricks and resources and even secret ingredients. So I have a big sense of accomplishment after finally making a proper buff bourguignon in my own home. So I really want to thank you both very much for this wonderful and, and really educational experience. I'm really, really grateful. Well, thanks for being (laughs) brave enough to um, attempt. I just think, you know, that's really brave. (laughs) And now that you're having success, I'm sure it feels really good. 
It does. It sure does. Yeah. I have a big smile on my face right now. Before we go, Michelle captured a voice memo of the moment she and her husband tasted her modified, but still spectacular, beef bourguignon. And I wanted to share that with you. Mm, Oh my God. It's so good. What do you think? Mm, It's excellent. Really? You think so? Oh my goodness. Wow. I'm so, so proud. I can't believe I made this. This is incredible. It tastes just like the one from France. So, so, so good. If you have a dinner emergency on your hands, write to us at dinnersos at bonappetit.com or leave us a voice message at 212-286-SOS1. That's 212-286-7071. We'd love to feature your question on the show. We're particularly interested in questions about hosting, going more plant-based, and beverages. But of course, we'd love to hear about any of your dinner emergencies. You can find the Bon Appetit recipes mentioned on today's episode, beef and bacon stew, and red wine and soy braised short ribs on the Epicurious app brought to you by Condé Nast. Just search Epicurious in the App Store and download today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to Dinner SOS. I'm your host, Chris Morocco. My co-host this week is Tanya Holland. Our producer is Michelle O'Brien. Peyton Hayes is our associate producer. Cameron Foos is our assistant producer. Jake Loomis is our studio engineer. Amar Lal makes this episode. Chris Bannon is Condé Nast's head of global audio. Next week, when Erin signed up to make a lemon meringue pie for her friend's giving. The meringue was perfect. (laughs) The lemon was tart and sweet and impeccable flavor, but it was was lemon meringue soup. Like, left in my own device at home, I will never put a full bottle of wine in any dish, just because part of me just dies like watching all that wine I could have drunk just like go into a pot. (laughs) Yes. Hey listeners, Chris Morocco here. If you find yourself in a dinner crisis, the Epicurious app comes to the rescue. Not only will you unlock over 50,000 recipes from Bon Appetit and Epicurious, but you'll also receive daily personalized recommendations based on your unique preferences and dietary needs. Head to the Apple App Store and download the Epicurious app to kickstart your seven-day free trial today. Don't miss out on this culinary adventure. Start your free trial and let the Epicurious app be your kitchen hero. Happy cooking.